Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Coming up later in the show, we always love it when we get mail from overseas. Today, we will help a listener in an area of Spain that gets hideously hot over the summertime take care of a live Christmas tree that he bought even though it would be more at home in the frozen north. Plus, lots of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Carol Ann, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Carol. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And where is Carol Ann doing good? I live in Virginia Beach. Where? Um, I live in Chicks Beach. Oh, I love Chicks Beach. Yeah, we just moved here a couple of years ago. We did live on the oceanfront, but we oh. decided we liked the bay better. That whole stretch of the eastern shore has a very beautiful and very different um, ocean fronts. But Chicks Beach is really unusual. Um, it's right near the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. It has all of the benefits of the ocean, but no crashing waves. So... If, if you're just like a floater or you don't want to fight the waves or try to body surf. Yeah, it really is. I really like it. So enough travelogue. Uh, what can we do you for? Okay. Um, like I said, I, I moved in here, I guess it's been about four years now, and we bought an older house with a well-established garden. Mm -hmm. uh, the house was built in 1949. So, uh, But the first summer we were here, we noticed that the lawn would just die out in specific spots. We were using the in-ground sprinklers, but the lawn just completely died, front and back. Mm -hmm. And we also lost um, some really old, um, you know, a, a rose bush, two rose bushes that were super old. So it was kind of unusual because we were watering but then when we hired somebody, they told us that it was a fungus and that it was black spot on the roses. Mm -hmm. And um, they came and completely reseeded. We get these um, areas where it dies out, where it looks like sand. Yeah, well, I mean, you're sand. at the beach. I know, but there's like pit places of where, it's, where the lawn dies and there's no topsoil. It just It's sand and it's kind of compacted down. Yes, that's ahead, perfectly normal for your region. Yeah, but not for my lawn to die. <laughs> well, I am not anti-lawn. Lawns, if they're not chemically treated, are great. It's a huge expanse of plants. They're channeling rainwater to slow down. They're putting oxygen into the air. But sometimes the, um, the situation that they're in um, can be stressful to a lawn. How close mm -hmm. are you to the water? Maybe like 10 blocks. And what type of grass have you been using? The back is very shaded, so we would use shaded grass. But then we hired a professional that came in and split-seeded the whole lawn. Okay. And it was beautiful, but then he did fungicide all summer, and he did all the different things that we were supposed to be doing. But then I noticed that we were having, like, tunnels all around my garden. Mm-hmm. Where I would step, and I would step into the tunnels. And then we thought that was the reason why 
we were having problems with the lawn, and we hired somebody to fix that. And, of course, nothing he did worked. Nothing right. absolutely worked because we couldn't put down poison because we have dogs. Well, and, and you shouldn't, um, nobody should put down poison anyway, especially right. in an environmentally sensitive area um, like you are. Now, I don't think the fungicide treatments were necessary. What kind of a sprinkler system do you have? We have an in-ground sprinkler. And how were you using it? Uh, we would have it on a timer, and we would usually set it for, um, like, in the morning, like early morning, about 5. Good. And um, it would go off maybe, I think, depending on how hot it was. Mm -hmm. You know, we have, a, we have a rain gauge, so it wouldn't come on if it rained. Right. But I would say about 20, 30 minutes it would stay on in the morning. Okay, that's, and, um, that's your problem. Yeah especially with sandy soil, which, again, is very natural where you are. That whole area was a sandbar at one point. Yeah. Um, what you need to do, you're starting at exactly the right time of day, like 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, but what you want to do to help the grass survive the hot weather is to run it for literally four hours. Um, the roots of grass don't even know that they're being watered for the first 20 minutes. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a cheap tease when you turn it off that quickly. And a lot of sprinkler systems are set to water lawns exactly the incorrect way. Um, mm -hmm. But fungicides are incredibly dangerous for you and your dogs. So, you know, and I don't, I don't you know, fungus is the first thing people say. Um, mm -hmm. I backed my car into a pole at the supermarket. Do you think it's got a fungus? You know, <laughs> it's, it's the catch-all, and it's rarely true. Uh, many roses are prone uh, to black spot. And if they, get, if they get wet, if they have the wrong kind of mulch around them, if they're fed chemical fertilizers, the black spot will continue to return. Now, um, what's, each, what's your lawn look like now? Well, we did reseed it again in mm -hmm. the beginning of the fall, right. and again, it's the same patches right. every single time that's okay. where the grass dies, and okay. it just turns, and like right there, it turns, and it almost feels like cement. No, like, no, you know, I, I, I know powdery. what you're, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Now, uh, do you feed the lawn? Do you have a service? We have somebody that comes and does it, yes. Okay. Um, I think you got to get off the chemical treadmill. Have you ever considered... Uh, changing over to a warm season grass. I, um, I presume you're we, so, you're sowing fescue or something in the fall. Yeah, I, I'm honestly I'm really not sure because we just have you know we're going by what uh, what they're recommending with the lawn services. Well, they're, they're recommending whatever they have lots of. <laughs> so um, in in the Virginia Beach area, especially um, where you are. I would say that you would do better with a, um, a warm season grass like zoysia or Bermuda grass. And these things would be installed in the springtime and they would be installed via plugs um, right. that you'd put in the ground and they both spread. Now, um, any warm season grass is going to go a little tan and dormant for a couple of months in the wintertime. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, that's a beautiful look for the beach. You know, all the, mm -hmm. all the dune grasses, those are all warm season grasses. So what I would suggest is you just stop everything 
Um, <laughs> leave it alone for now. Uh, cut the lawn service because those chemicals are going right into the bay. Right. And again, especially with sandy soil, if you want to do something to help, you're going to have to call around and find somebody who's willing to work with you instead of just, you know, doing the same foolish stuff they've been doing. No one should be sowing a lawn year after year after year. Right. So, it's just it's just ridiculous. I just want to put I just want to like just, you know, get rid of the lawn totally and just, you know, make some gardens and stuff, but my husband won't agree to it. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, I think he would be very happy with zoysia grass. What I would suggest is you get a big load of compost delivered, yard waste compost. Uh -huh. um, you, you've probably even seen Maryland's leaf grow in bags at garden centers. Uh -huh. Well, they, they deliver in bulk, too. And then, you know, have your husband who wants the lawn, you know, dump this stuff around the lawn, fill up wheelbarrows, dump it, fill up wheelbarrows, dump it, and then just rake it around to where it's even. And then you will have a, a seed bed that will hold water better. And mm -hmm. in the spring, you'll have somebody install plugs of zoysia or Bermuda grass. Now, they're both spreading grasses, so make sure you have good edging around the lawn mm -hmm. so it doesn't spread into unwanted areas. But uh, I think that's going to be the grass of choice um, okay. in your area. And zoysia can take a little bit of shade as long as it gets, like, four hours of sun a day. Okay. What about the, you don't think the moles or the voles are having any, they don't do anything to the lawn at all? Well, moles do not. Moles make big raised tunnels in the lawn that are ugly. Voles yeah. make little holes in the lawn and they are eating the roots of your grass. So right. what I would suggest you do, go to our website, go to youbetyourgarden.org and click on the link that says answers to all your garden questions and then just type moles and voles into the search box and you'll be able to quickly uh, decide what you have. And then there's okay. various cures for that. But I think you want to move to a warm season grass, water it deeply and for long periods of time, but only twice a week, even in the hottest time in the summer. Because with that nutrition from the compost and caring for it correctly, you are not... Um, uh, where was I? Uh, oh, um, you, it's, it's going to be self-sustaining. I, I think mm -hmm. the, the big problem is the type of grass. Right. All right. Well, that sounds good. Um, we've just had a lot of crazy. I actually also had cicada-killing bees this summer. They're wasps. <laughs> that were, yeah. That were burrowing. Yeah, they're wasps. Yes, they were and, underground and, and they that's were because that's candy. because that's because you have sandy soil and a ratty lawn. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, they took over after a while. I just gave up. <laughs> yeah, well, once you build up the lawn, they will not be able to get through zoysia grass. Okay. Uh, once you build up the lawn, and again, have compost there to feed the grass, water it correctly. The answer to lawn problems is never chemicals. It's just. Uh, it's just the correct culture for the plants. All right. Well, that sounds wonderful. I will definitely try the, the zoysia or the Bermuda grass, and we'll, we're going to have to wait for the spring, obviously. Yeah, but it gives you time to research. Yes, definitely. All right. Good luck right. to you. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate the call. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that despite the weather, it is the season for sowing seeds indoors. No. 
not tomatoes, cucumbers, or other fast-growing warm-season crops, but peppers, hot and sweet, which take longer to germinate and even longer to get to a big and strong size. But don't go hovering over your habaneros to be just yet, because we'll be right back with more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. Plants and gardens can have an enormous impact on our everyday lives. At PHS, they believe that a seed can be more than a plant and that gardening can be more than a hobby. PHS is working to plant with purpose and help build healthier communities. Learn more about involvement at phs.org impact. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am still, against all odds, your host, Mike McGrath. You may recall in our last thrilling episode um, that we had a wonderful interview with Sam Lemhenny, who is the chief designer and bottle washer for the Philadelphia Flower Show, which this year is going to be moved outdoors in Roosevelt Park in South Philly and be held in June. Well, we kept Sam on the Zoom call for much longer than I'm supposed to, um, and every word was wonderful. So we are going to rejoin that conversation now and finish it up. And after that, we'll take more of your phone calls, and we'll have a question of the week, and I'll make fun of myself. Uh, But for now, let's go back to our interview with Sam Lemhenny from the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society, also known as PHS, and news about the upcoming Philadelphia Flower Show. FDR Park is such a great location, not only for the beautiful aspects that I talked about and the architecture and the landscape, but it is right in the heart of a huge amount of parking that's down in that area of South Philadelphia. The subway is right there. All the things that you named for Lincoln Financial Field are all right there, is especially right there for, for the FDR Park. And we couldn't be more excited to um, greet people and get them down there. And it's that area is used to having a large, large amount of people and large amount of traffic. So it should be a great location and a really great experience for everybody. Yeah, theoretically, uh, the Phillies might be playing at that time, but we also don't know how many fans would be allowed. And they're certainly not going to be using the football stadium. Not, not at that time of year. No, absolutely. There, there's definitely a, a few baseball games that are scheduled during that frame. And we're working with those teams and, and they've been amazing partners to work with us um, and welcome us down into that part of the, uh, of Philadelphia. So um, we'll have a lot of fun things to talk about as with regards to parking and promotions as it gets closer to the show. And you know, I am a wealth of useless information. So <laughs> I will tell you that during the 1930s and 1940s, the Phillies were experimenting with new names. The team was so awful. They were, I guess they were trying to deceive. They were called the Blue Jays, believe it or not, at one really? point. Yes, yeah. Um, to get like a game jacket or something from that era is, is really cool. Um, but one of the longest nicknames um, that replaced the Phillies during this time was Doolin's Daisies. 
Um, the manager was a guy named Doolin. He was very right. well known and very well liked. I don't know where the daisies came from, but there's a hook for you, Sam. Uh, okay, we, we can have we can try and have daisies at the flower show. I don't see why that couldn't be a problem. Doolin's daisies. You Doolin's know. daisies. Okay, yeah. here we go. You might have to make one. Um, at the end of that flower show, I would have my exhibit already planned for the following right. year, so I would know what materials we needed to build the structures, what plants we needed. How did your major exhibitors react? A regular civilian would think, oh, my God, this is great. They've got, you know... X number of months extra. No, right. no, it wasn't planned for this. You know, <laughs> there's freezers, there's coolers, there's incredibly right. intense lights to move things forward and backward. I mean, what was the reaction? Yeah, well, what that was really the, the main reason why we had to make this decision so early. And we literally made this decision back in May. Um, it certainly wasn't made public until just recently, but it was. We had a lot of things to work around behind the scenes, especially working with our exhibitors to make sure that they can continue to do this. So the plants are the, are really sort of drive the timelines. And so when we're planning our normal show that happens in March, Mike, you know, we're we're 18 months out yeah. looking at the events, right? We we know what we're doing 18 months out. So to really pivot and make this decision, you know, 10 months, 11 months out from the show. Um, was really a big deal. And uh, we had to have a lot of conversations and a lot of discussions with our exhibitors, with the volunteers, um, not only the major exhibitors, but some of our, all of our competitive class exhibitors as well, mm -hmm. which are hundreds of them as well. It's, it's, uh, it, was a, they... it was a big shift. And, and it was really something that I, I was, you know, a lot of people say that this flower show is about the flowers and the plants and the gardens, which it is a big part of the content. But really this flower show is about the people and the, the reactions that we got were, were just so amazing of, hey, we're here, we're part of the Flower Show family, and we're gonna do what we need to do to make sure that this show continues to happen and we put on a great show and a great experience for the visitors that come every single year and for those new visitors that haven't even come yet. Um, and so that was, the reaction was, you know, while you have a few things that, you know, might've popped up that said, you know what, I might not be able to do it this year, but we'll keep, keep working at it. Um, most people said, you know what, we're involved and we, we want to stay involved and we want this show to be a success. We've been involved since we were, like you said, Mike, eight. Some of these, our volunteers have been around 40, 50 years. And so they don't want to see it go away. They didn't want to see us cancel it. They wanted to say, we're going to jump on board and we're going to help you create the best experience we can and make sure that the visitors have a great show. And one, of the, one of the nice things about this is when COVID struck, it just seemed everybody was of course, naturally blindsided. What are, right. are we opening the schools? Are we closing the schools? Are we opening the bars? Are we closing the bars? What, you know, what do you, and the, you know, honestly, there's no good answer. I mean, uh, the difference between benefit and, and risk here is so slim. Um, but you guys jumped on it and made a firm decision Right. right away. And I find something comforting about that. You know, I, I give a lot of credit to our board who was very, you know, they gave us the opportunity to actually look into the different ideas and really understand if we could actually pull this show off in June. Mm -hmm. um, they gave us the green light to do that. And then when we came back and said, you know what, we, 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 we pretty sure we can do this. We think that we have a really good idea and good concepts and 
we think that this can happen and they gave us the green light to go ahead. So um, all credit to our board. Um, they are an amazing group of individuals that trust us as staff um, and, and all the people that in, are involved in this flower show and uh, many of them are. So this is, this is a really great, great thing. And the board really gave us the, the green light and, 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 the, and the kudos to them for and them on, doing that. On top of that, Sam, we're the flower show. We can do right. anything. <laughs> we have an amazing team that I that works with me um, on producing this show from a creative standpoint, from an operations standpoint, from an event standpoint, volunteer standpoint, that uh, I would put that team up against any any event and any event team around the world that this is a this is a top notch world class um, operation and very excited. And I'm very lucky to work with the people that I get a chance to work with. I've been around here for 17, almost 18 years, Mike. And um, it, it's just, it's just fun to see uh, the people, how they put this show together from a staff standpoint, and then really the support the volunteers give this show. And, you know, I'd have to say the visitors too, come on, you got to get on the support train because we're, we're going to have this show and we love to have you here. And, and when the tickets go on sale, we really need you to, to step in and, and buy these tickets just like you would any other flower show because it's going to be pretty special. I, I think uh, I'm hoping for a lot of community support. So two things yeah. I want to mention before I let you go. Um, okay. This idea is not new. Um, Chelsea, which has been going, what, 8,000 right. years they no, they're only about just over a hundred. They're younger than us, believe it or not. Oh, just babies, little babies. We're, yeah, they're they're babies. We're almost two hundred years old. They're just over a hundred. They're not, you know. Come on. Uh, but they've but been around a long time. That's always been an outdoor show in early June. Uh, May, uh, middle May, middle May time frame. But they have a, they have their big Hampton Court show, which is their second biggest show. Um, that happens in July. So yeah, they they do two. They do a lot of outdoor shows. Most of their shows are outdoors. And am I correct that you you were always traveling to see other flower shows right. around the world? And uh, yeah, I've been lucky to see Singapore Flower Show, which is an amazing flower show. That over was there. the one I was going to bring up because that's an outdoor yep. show. Yep. And you said there was a lot to envy there. Yeah, they have. I mean, obviously, Singapore is an amazing country. I've been lucky enough to get over there a couple of times. They've asked me to come over and judge their show um, twice now. And it's just it's just an amazing experience. And they're in the heart of Gardens by the Bay. So they, they actually are in a park or in a garden setting. And just like we did, we, we've had numerous conversations with that team to sort of talk and pick their brain as to how they how they create their show, because they actually did move from inside their first two shows were indoors and then they moved it to the outdoor location when the gardens by the bay opened up. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we were talking to them about some of the challenges that, that came about with that. Um, so that was good. And we also have a lot of great, um, we belong to the international festivals and events association. So I have a number of friends who are doing outdoor events all over the country that we've been picking their brain as well too. So we have a lot of great expert help that's going to help us make sure we don't miss anything, make sure that this experience is great and that the, um, flower show goes off without a hitch now the last thing because you know you and i could go on for days here um <laughs> let's talk about accessibility because obviously right. one of the big um draws for this location is it's the last stop on the broad street subway yep. um depending on what part of the park you will start in it could be a shorter walk to the flower show from the subway than to Citizens Bank Park. Correct. Yep. Yeah. So this is a, an important, it's an important piece of, of making sure that uh, the visitor has a great experience, not only in the show, but getting to the show. And that's one of our 
top priorities is making sure that that happens. Um, we are working with uh, SEPTA to make sure that the Broad Street line is, is running and, and running to, to the capacities that we might see coming into the show because we know a lot of people uh -huh. like to take the train to the show. Um, we are working with the different teams in the different areas, PIDC, Navy Yard for parking down there so that there's ample amounts of parking. Um, and we don't have it you know, nailed down yet, but we are looking at doing trains or, or, or trams um, or, or outdoor, you know, uh, open air trolleys so that people can go from the parking lot to the right front, right to the front door of the, of the show, because accessibility is really great. And then once you're in the show, we're making sure that that show is as, as accessible as it can, um, and making sure that everybody can enjoy the, the, the flower show, um, uh, at the, at the, you know, the experience that everybody should have. So that's, we're, we're, we're excited about that. We're looking forward to that. And uh, it's something that the park will uh, lend itself to the folks at Parks and Rec, who are an amazing partners with us that we're, we've been enjoying working with. And they're excited about us being down there. Um, we'll hopefully be making a lot of improvements to the park when we're down there. And so that's something that the neighborhoods can get excited about, that the Flower Show will leave behind some, some great legacy and improvements that, uh, that they'll be able to enjoy all year round, too. Um, just, like, just like Floriade in holland yeah. <laughs> right somewhere i don't know on the, not not necessarily on that scale but yes we will definitely be working with the with parks and recs to see what kind Go of on, legacy get those bulbs in the ground we can leave. what's yep. what's still blooming in june ornamental alliums right uh, of course yeah uh, you're definitely gonna have alliums there absolutely so um have you decided you know because roosevelt park essentially starts on the other side of broad street as you go right. up or down Patterson, depending on you know how you look at that, um, is that where the main entrance is going to be? It'll be very close to that. Their their main entrance right off of Broad. Actually, most of their entrance they have two big entrances. Their main entrance is right off Patterson, um, and the show will be close. The show entrance will be very close to that entrance. It's a little bit further into the park, but not that far so that you can start your experience and work here. But the show is on the Patterson side of FDR Park. Of course. So it is yeah. the closest to the parking that we can get it um, and closest access for everybody to to enjoy. Well, I mean, that was, you know, let's be honest, that was a problem um, with probably not, not even just the convention center, but uh, with uh, the Civic Center before that. Um, right. It was easy to get close. It was not easy then to travel those last couple of blocks. Right. And that's yeah, not... We're, do, we're doing our best to make sure that that's an easy and smooth experience. Again, like we said, we're working with SEPTA. The subway line goes right there. So we know a lot of people like to take the train. Um, we are going to make sure that there's, um, you know, it's, it's in the heart of a lot of different neighborhoods in South Philadelphia. So biking, biking to the show is, is mm -hmm. going to be an option in June, right? So this is a, even a, an easier yeah. option to get to the show. So we're working with with uh, folks to make sure we have enough parking for bikes as well as drop-off locations for the buses. And so we have a lot of different ways that we can get there. And of course, if you decide to drive, 95 goes right near there and yep. you get off right at the Broad Street exit and uh, can come right in and, and use the parking lots that are all around there as well. So it's uh, the idea, trying to make it as easy as possible. The idea of the parking and the access to public transportation is unparalleled. Obviously there was... Right really no other choice if you're thinking of convenience right. and um in physical reality people are going to get into the show an hour earlier than they used to because uh, you know we're talking about a place that's been handling um 50 70 000 cars at a right. pop for decades right yeah and our, our our show starts um at 10 a.m 
like it normally does and will run till 7 p.m. Um, if you're a member of the Horticultural Society, you actually will get to come in at nine o'clock. So you will get that extra hour um, to spend in the show before it gets too crazy in there. But we will be, um, we are selling tickets. Um, you will have to know by the day when, when to buy your tickets. So which day you would plan to come. And then we're also going to be selling AM or PM on that day. So you okay. want to come in the AM or in the morning, or if you want to come in the afternoon for those tickets. And that's all about trying to keep everybody safe, right. really controlling the attendance and the amount of people that are coming through there. Um, and making sure that we have the the right amount of folks and so that everybody can socially distance and be as safe as they possibly can and still really enjoy the show. We, you know, this flower show is really something, Mike, you and I have talked about this before. It's it's a show and we want people to, you know, forget about the outside world and really sort of be engulfed and immersed into the experience of the show. And we want to make sure that they feel as safe as they can so they can still have that experience and be immersed in this flower show. One last thing uh, that occurred to me. Um, what is this year's show theme? Because you know oh. what I laughingly call my memory. And <laughs> did it have to be adjusted? Because I know the themes you you know are picked out years in advance. Correct. Believe it or not, the theme for this year's flower show and the theme that the flower show was has been working on for at least three years now is called Habitat. Okay. And so we did not have to change the theme because we felt that the outdoor location actually lend itself to a perfect interpretation of the of the habitat theme and this is we're excited about this theme it really goes down from you know it, it as the animals and and the and the plants that they use as their as their uh, habitats and 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 incorporated into that to the to the to you even every day where you have your outdoor living spaces and that's your we call your habitat um so it goes all the way from from big to small and 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 all over the world habitats um, and plants are used for habitats so we're, we're excited about that and and really it connects to the pennsylvania horticultural society too as of how plants can incorporate it and can impact your your habitat and your environment um and and really improving that and making it healthier and making it more sustainable and um we're going to include all of that messaging as well too so we're excited about this theme and we did not have to change it we were lucky and it fit really perfectly with this outdoor location. And I'm presuming you and I will do something special in the central exhibit during the show? Absolutely, we'll give a tour just like we always do, you and your, your, your folks um, who sign up during your uh, fundraisers and your, your membership drives, we will definitely have a, a tour with you and I walking around and entertaining the folks. We, the, the, the Mike and Sam show is always pretty entertaining. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. All right, Sam, um, I've kept you far too long, but you know, this show is not only important to me, it's important to the city. It's important to all of horticultural. The late Bob Rodale said that you cannot have a truly thriving business unless it meets adversity head on at some point and changes organically into a better organization, into a better operation. He called it regeneration. He said embrace chaos, em embrace problems because right. your solution is gonna keep you alive and adapting and changing with the times. Mike, thank you so much for your support. I've always appreciated it ever since I've, you know, you and I worked together back in my Disney days when I was there and then you've supported me in this flower show so much and we really appreciate all that you do and um hey your visitors we we, we love them too because they come to the flower show definitely because of your 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 support so we appreciate that it's my great pleasure
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to our interesting, very interesting question of the week. Can a Christmas tree alive and in a pot survive in a hot and sunny part of Spain long enough to celebrate a few more holiday seasons. You won't want to miss it, and you won't. It's coming up right after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Jim, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, thanks very much, Mike. It's a pleasure to talk to you, and thanks a lot for taking my call. Well, thank you very much for making it. Um, How are you doing today? Doing real well. Uh, just kind of waiting for spring. Yeah, aren't we all? You know, the, there was a famous ball player in, I believe, the 20s, Rogers Hornsby. And he was asked by a sports writer what he does in the winter. And uh, Hornsby said, you want to know what I do in the winter? I'll tell you what I do in the winter. I sit by an open window and I dream of spring. <laughs> well, he, he had it right. Yeah. So where are you, Jim? Well, we're in Drums, a little bit north of Hazleton. Oh, okay, PA. PA, correct. Okay. What can we do for uh, Jim from Drums? Well, uh, during the winter, we sit and stare out our window and think about gardening. And uh, we've got outside the window a flowering pear tree that's about 12 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, And it has been a gorgeous tree. I mean, in the spring, it's just spectacular. Mm -hmm. And last spring, we noticed that it wasn't quite as spectacular as it has been. And now that the winter is here and the leaves are off and the tree is bare, mm-hmm. I notice that it is filled with, I don't even know how to describe them, alien life forms that have attached themselves to all of the branches, many of the branches mm-hmm. throughout the tree. They're black. They're kind of crusty. Uh, they seem to be more in the outside of the branches rather than in the real thick part of the branches. I don't see them on the trunk Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see them on any other trees, but I would say uh, on this tree there must be fifty of them. Oh well, that's not many. scattered throughout. Um, they do you think this could be uh, an insect in the scale family? Uh, these are insects that uh, position themselves on tree limbs and such, and then secrete out a cement that attaches them uh, to the plant part, and then they grow. Uh, kind of armor shell over top. I've never seen an insect around them. Uh, well, you wouldn't. Nobody sees scale getting started. They only notice yeah. it after they've armored up. Have you tried to just wipe them off with a damp cloth or anything? 
Well, there some of them are pretty large. Some of them or it could be as not quite as large as your fist, but what? But sizable. Run. Yeah, these are run, these Jim. Are, run, get out. <laughs> That's why I call them alien life forms. I'm a, I'm a little bit afraid that uh, they're going to take over the house here pretty soon. Now, are you are are you sure these are living creatures and not a dis- No. No, I have no idea. Uh, they, okay, they, I'm going to suggest that at that size, there's a disease called canker. And this disease gets into um, the branches of a tree and then really ugly-looking black growths cover that area. And they are about the size of a human hand. That's, that sounds like what it is. Yeah. It, canker, uh, is ugly. canker is really tough. But I'll also tell you, that uh, do you know the name of your pair? Is it a Bradford pair, a Cleveland pair? Um, no, I don't know the name of the pair. It, it's just a flowering. It doesn't doesn't bear fruit. Right, right. So, so far, uh, um, the these so-called caliper pairs. Um, okay, this, be- the, when when it first blooms, the, the, when it first comes out, the green, leaves are green. Mm-hmm. Then it flowers. Then the t- leaves very quickly turn red. Right, and do the flowers stink like rotting flesh? They do. Yes, okay. Yeah, you have what are called one of the caliper pears. They are the cheapest, um, most invasive, and just people are urged not to plant them. Oh, really? Um, I'm not surprised it got canker. What generally happens is they break apart in storms when they're very young. And they are very fragile, they're very brittle, and the only reason they've been used so heavily is they were and probably still are the single cheapest tree to nursery grow to a, to a good size. So you might not want to hear this, but my advice is to take it out. Really? Cut, yeah, cut it down, um, either burn it or get the wood in the trash, don't compost it. Canker's a nasty disease. And then if you want, if you can get the stump out of the ground, um, replace it with something nice, no offense, like a flowering cherry. They're beautiful, and they're not subject to these kind of uh, problems. Okay. okay. Well, that's uh, not necessarily what I wanted to hear, but that's uh, good to know, because it's, it's ugly, and it, it's getting worse. And it's, uh, and it's only going to get worse. That's going to make it more brittle, and sooner or later, you'll have to take it down, or it'll fall on your pumpkin head when you're outside. Mm, and okay. better to get in front of that and get it out of the ground now while it's dormant and while the disease is not reproducing. Okay, does that have, do you know, like a major root system? Is that going to be a project to get out? Um, how tall is the tree? Oh, about 20 feet. Oof. I, I would at least have uh, a professional come and take a look at it, because that's not a safe height. For a normal human. No, I'm, 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 I'm way beyond my tree cutting days. Okay, <laughs> good. Yeah, have it professionally removed. It'll be a good investment on your part and tell them you want the stump pulled. And then okay, they'll, great. they'll probably get a, a you know, backhoe in there. Super duper. All right, sorry, I wish it was better news, but that, that's the oh, proof. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, good luck, sir. You too. Take care. Yes, it is time for the question of the week. Caring for a potted Christmas tree in Spain. Yes, in Spain. We continue to hear from You Bet Your Gardeners far and wide. Now, I hope I'm going to pronounce this right. Roy in Extremadura, Spain, quote, 
specifically the area known as Don Benito, which is prime tomato country, writes, ours is a pretty mild climate. Palm trees survive, but we do get a few below freezing nights and frosty mornings. It's very windy in the winter and hot, hot, hot in the summer, with blazing sun and highs of 90 to 100 degrees Fahrenheit during our heat waves. We recently bought our third live potted Christmas tree. The first one lasted us for five or six years in its pot. The second one, the most recent, only lasted one year, but that summer was super hot and dry, and we probably watered it too little. Now, I am aware that it can be tough to keep a potted tree alive, and I want to know what I can do to give this one the best shot at surviving. It is approximately two and a half meters tall, that's about seven feet, and it's in a black plastic pot that's around 50 centimeters in diameter. That's about a foot and a half over here. It is heavy. It was hell to move around when it came inside for the holiday and then went back out again. Anyway, here are my basic questions. What would be best to keep this tree alive? Full sun? Part shade? A little sun. How much water? The soil it's in drains super fast. Should we transplant it to a larger pot? Even though I have no idea of how we might do that, it would make it worth our while to get two or three more years out of it. Otherwise, at 142 euros, it is a huge expense for just one year. That turns out to be about 175 bucks American at the current exchange rate. He continues, your show has influenced and helped me with my garden a great deal. We sold our tiller. In Spanish, it is called a mechanical mule. And we now have raised beds, all due to your show. I listen to your podcast weekly while I'm out mowing leaves to shred them. We even bought a new mulching lawnmower yesterday to be able to leave our clippings on the lawn. So thank you. And any advice about this monster tree would be appreciated. Well, before I even had time to email him back and asked, Roy followed up with the name of the tree. I'm not even going to try to do this one, kids. You can look it up at the Gardens Alive website where it's in print. But Wiki tells me it's also known as the Caucasian fir. It's a fir tree native to cool, wet mountains around the Black Sea in Turkey and Russia. Its official USDA zone is a chilly four to six. And that means Pennsylvania and North. And although it is felt to be an excellent Christmas tree, it is not recommended for warm climates, much less hot and dry summers. Now, in its native climb, it gets 40 inches of rain a year. The region of Don Benito, from where you could easily walk to Portugal, is at a slight elevation, around half a mile, not the two or three the tree is used to, and it actually gets a decent amount of rain, most of it in September and none of it in July or August. But all told, it gets a respectable 23 inches a year on average. So first, I want you to repot this puppy whether you like it or not. So get a pot, black plastic is fine because we're gonna paint it, that's about twice the size of the original. But because you say the water already runs out quickly, 
we're going to fill in the extra spaces with compost as opposed to potting soil as the compost will hold moisture much better. Now, I strongly recommend you place this big pot on a hand truck, which will allow you to move the tree around much more easily. My Diane taught me this trick when she moved my giant birds of paradise into the house for the winter. Okay, to repot the tree, deceive some of your friends into coming over, roll the old pot on its side, and gently roll and bang on it until the root ball slides loose. Place several inches of compost on the bottom of the new pot, and then have your friends muscle the honking heavy plant into the new pot, adding compost all around, but leave an inch open at the top to aid in watering. Then, repay your friends with a nice meal. Now do the repotting soon. Then water lightly when you don't get rain and keep the plant in full sun in the winter, spring, and fall. When July comes near, use the hand truck to roll it into a spot with partial shade. Then when hot and heavy August comes calling, move it to almost full shade for a while. Then gradually move it back out into the sun when the dogs stop hiding under the porch all day. During the dry months, water it every other day, only in the morning and only slowly. Give it about a pint of water, walk away, come back a half hour later and give it another point, pint, point, point, pint, peat, 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 point. <clears throat> Repeat this tedious process until the water drains out the bottom and then go inside and drink three iced teas. Before or after the repotting, which yes, you must do, coat the outside of the pot with white latex paint to reflect the sun during the dry and sunny times. Black absorbs sunlight and would heat up the tree's roots, which being from the Caucasus Mountains, don't know from 90 degrees. White reflects heat, which keeps the roots cooler and helps the water last longer. Well, that sure was some interesting information about keeping a live Christmas tree alive in a sunny and sultry summer climb, now wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over in detail, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be, youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to cut the top off my tannin bomb. If I don't get out of this studio, we must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email, which is now working again, thank you. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please, please, Please include your location. You'll find all of this contact information at our website, youbetyourgarden.org, 
where you'll also find the answers to all your garden questions. Audio of this show, video of this show, and video and audio of old shows. Oh, and our podcast, it's loaded. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and broadcast. Prodcast. Um, that's something you move cattle around with if you don't care about their rights. All produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio and Television in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when Captain Nemo's famed Nautilus submarine rescued him from a mysterious island, or should we say, the mysterious island. Mysterious Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is the invisible man, Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine, bride of Frankenfurter Dempsey. Our engineer is the creature from the Jersey Lagoon, cheerful. Charlie, Sarah. Our social media director is the good witch Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and stay current with the show at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Wolf Girl Tavia Minnick is our profound producer of Priceless Productions. The lovely phantom of the operetta Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Mummified Jake Boyer does the video. Our director of directing direction is the harassed and harry king of the monsters javier diaz abominable and decumus takes our temperature at the door the monster from planet zero zach the takwisneski is in the house he is assisted by the usual gang of idiots otherwise known as bethlehem's answer to the bowery boys our beloved Grand Poobah, CEO, Merciful Dictator, and once again, the person named in a national poll as most likely to be late for a meeting, is Tim Fallon, who is not our executive producer. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. I would say monstrous Mike McGrath, but I can't, because the official Marvel Comics nickname bestowed upon me by the late, great Stan Lee was... And I quote, mellow Mike McGrath. And it was in print, no less. Oh, well, I've been trying to prove Stan wrong ever since. And I will continue to do so again next week. Mellow. Mellow. He had to pick mellow. Why not mellifluous? Mangy maniacal, but no, he had to pick Mellow. The process of making galvanized steel includes the use of zinc. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, we'll discuss whether this is good or bad for your use of metal watering cans and galvanized steel raised bed frames, plus your galvanized phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.